Lawyers always need to be on top of their game, or at least appear to be. It can feel overwhelming to recognize or admit when we aren't, and even harder to reach out and get help. Welcome to Sidebar, brought to you by North Carolina's Lawyer Assistance Program, where lawyers help lawyers by sharing their experience, strength, and hope as they delve into their personal journeys of recovery. Hey everybody, this is Robin Morades, the director of the North Carolina Lawyer Assistance Program. Today I'm sitting with David, who practices family law and is a great LAP volunteer. David, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. So to start out, your article does an outstanding job of conveying in a very simple and straightforward way that drinking is not our problem, but our solution. And I just love this story that you share with us from when you were in first grade. Tell us about that. So when I was in first grade, uh, we played in a basketball tournament. We made it to the championship game, and we did not win. And back in the day, they used to give runners-up trophy. There was a saying in my family that if you can't win, don't try. And I took that to heart. So when I got home, I took my runners-up trophy and went behind our pump house and started chopping it up into little pieces. My grandfather, who was traveling to North Carolina from Canada, was in town, and he is the one that found me chopping up a trophy. I think he was horrified that I was doing this, and I feel bad because I had such little interaction with him relative to my grandfather in North Carolina that this is one of the things that he got to see was me chopping up a second-place trophy. And I wish that my grandfather from Canada could have seen better things than that. (laughs) So like you needed to drink in first grade. Yes, I did. Well, I needed to chill out in the first grade. And then after first grade? So in the third grade, I was the first person in my class to get my multiplication tables, but I did not get them right the very first time that I tried. So I would break pencils, break bowls, throw things against the wall. And my mom had to put me in counseling for my angry behavior. And I had to, quote unquote, think happy thoughts. And so that was in the third grade. When I was in the seventh grade, I got shingles. And at the time, and I don't know if it's true, the doctor attributed it to the stress levels that I was under while in the seventh grade but probably self-induced stress levels like diehard perfectionism and social anxiety. I didn't, I didn't have a a stressful upbringing. I had a two parent household. Uh, We were lower middle-class and I mean, we didn't have a ton of money, but we also weren't poor and all of the stress was self-induced for sure. But when you need relief from that kind of self-imposed Well, I hate to say self-imposed because we're not consciously doing it to ourselves. It feels like it's being done to us, but you can imagine that drinking is a huge relief. What did drinking do for you? It made me feel lighter. It made uh, the pressure that was in my chest feel less. The best way I can describe it is a Bud Light or Miller Lite commercial where they're twisting the top of a a beer bottle and it goes. That's what I felt like when I drank alcohol. It was a pressure release valve and all the pressure that I was feeling would go away. 
and I would physically feel lighter, more at ease. And the pressure that I had all the way back to the first grade just would just go away. There's a speaker that talks about he felt like when he drank, he was restored to his truer self, his real self, and that he got such relief when he drank that if you'd given him a warning on the label ahead of time saying, caution, you're going to lose jobs, you're going to lose wives, and at the end, you're going to lose your very soul. He was like, eh, small price to pay for how I felt last night. It sounds like you got that level of relief from it. It was tremendous. So your story also highlights the difference between being sober versus being dry. And I had a friend in recovery. He's now passed away. He was like a surrogate father to me that his story was that he was dry. He stopped drinking on his own, white knuckling it for about 12 years before he ever got to AA. And he didn't drink again. That's not what actually propelled him to AA. But he said that he did more damage to his family in those 12 years of being dry than he did during his active drinking. Your story followed a kind of similar path. Tell us about that. I stopped drinking when I was 29. Had you started having consequences? Did you just think it wasn't good for you anymore? What prompted you? I knew it was a problem and I couldn't hide it anymore. I was able to hide my drinking when I was in law school from my now wife because she lived in Burlington, North Carolina. Once we got engaged and began living together, I could no longer hide my drinking without completely going insane. I would drink when she went to the shower I would drink several on the way home and it became too tiring. I confessed that I was an alcoholic and I stopped cold turkey. There is some family history of stopping cold turkey with no AA therapy treatment. And so I thought that was the way it's done. And so that's what I did. So I stopped drinking when I was 29. I stayed uh dry for seven and a half years during that time period, which would have been my early, mid, and somewhat later 30s, were some really um, angry times. I guess the best way to do it is to say that I was angry because all of the anger that I'd felt when I was in the first grade, third grade, seventh grade was still there, and I had no way to, to deal with it. I was still trying to control everybody. I was still trying to manage everybody. And I was angry when things did not go my way. And probably one of the hardest things I was doing was that I was trying to do everything on my own. I would not accept help from anybody. And so I was just an angry, miserable person. I was surprised that my wife stayed with me based on some of the ways that I behaved, but she did. And it, to contrast sobriety versus being dry is a level of serenity or a level of calm, a level of peace of dealing with the things that are going on around me without feeling angry all the time. Just out of curiosity, were most of your amends like to your wife more to do with your period of dryness than your drinking, your active drinking? No, it was more to do with the lying 
and uh, deceit when I resumed drinking. Mm. So tell us about that. So you resumed drinking because, you know, we can only white knuckle it for so long. Mm. I, I hit a stressful point in my dryness, if you want to call it, where I felt like, well, maybe I was just doing it wrong when I was 29. I was younger. I was immature. I was crazy. And then when 37 rolls around, I owned my own business. I had a law license, a house. I drove a minivan. I was more mature. And so I could do it correctly. And there was an event that, uh, it helped push me over the edge. My, my wife and I had two, we have two biological children and I, uh, well, we decided to adopt. And uh, so we had one failed adoption where we had the child for about 36 to 48 hours. And then we tried again uh, to adopt where we had the child for nine months um, and she resided with us. And there was ongoing litigation concerning the child and we ultimately lost uh, the litigation and after having the child for nine months had to hand her back over to the biological mother that uh, was in the midst of my relapse and it was a very stressful time for me and so it, it took the stress of the adoption the hurt from losing an adoption pain if you want to call it pain rather than hurt coupled with, oh, I was just doing it, you know, wrong when I was 29, mm. you know, in my drinking. But by the time that I started drinking again in my late 30s, I couldn't stop. In your article, you do a great job of describing how it like picked up right where you left off. Within a couple of weeks, you were back to the old behavior. Just it picked up like a roaring freight train. Yep. I, I did not get healthier during those seven and a half years of not drinking, it, it was literally a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And I was right back where I was before. It was as if I had never stopped drinking at all. Mm -hmm. And there was no, it was a, you know, if you want to use the pickle example, you know, I, I was a cucumber that went to a pickle and just because I stopped drinking, didn't, I didn't go back to a cucumber and go through the pickle process again. I Once a pickle, always a pickle. You're pickled. <laughs> I was pickled. <laughs> so when it all hit the fan, what did you do? Well, at first I freaked out. Sure. I tried here again. I was trying to do it on my own to figure out what treatment facility to go to. I was Googling treatment facilities and I found some public service announcement for anyone out there. Don't Google treatment centers. The ones with the best websites are usually the worst ones to go to. <laughs> well, actually, I found I was leaning towards the, the worst website. It was like some, you know, mountainside uh, looked like a Motel 6. Um, and I was like, well, maybe this will work. But then eventually I, you know, my employer had contacted LAP and I had had some run-ins with, not run-ins, but some contact with Kathy Killian in the past. And I think that's hilarious that you said run-ins. That's so funny. Well, if you, yeah, I had some run-ins with, with her. and Like what? Like how? I'm curious. I don't know this. Well, no, it was my, my employer had reported me to the LAP one time for a blackout drunk text email to a colleague that was completely inappropriate. 
And that was probably about nine to 10 months before I went to treatment and I stayed quote unquote sober for like two or three months after that. I gave AA a, a half-hearted try and then went out, said bye-bye to Kathy and went to, uh, went, went out and drank and I, uh, drank for another six months before the, the Brown stuff eventually hit the fan and brought us up to the time period that we're at. So I had some interactions with Kathy before, you know, things got really bad. And eventually, you know, the thing that I did, which helped me is to, to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, is it Dilworth inpatient? Is it some crazy place up in the mountains? You know, what am I going to do? And I was communicating with my employer and it's, you know, I feel looking back on it, I definitely feel bad for them because, you know, that's not the role that they should be playing in my mind, you know, um, of trying to figure out treatment for me. And I don't think that they knew exactly what to do, uh, nor should they. And so I, I asked, uh, you know, Kathy, what do you think I should do? And she's like, David, I think you need inpatient treatment. Uh, it took me a couple of days before I could, could go. I, you know, I think we made the decision on a Friday and I uh, couldn't go until a Monday just because of everyone's schedule. And so that's, that's what I did. What do you think has been the greatest value that you've gotten from working with the lawyer assistance program? The recommendation to go to inpatient treatment. When I was at rock bottom, I felt like I was in a tornado and did not know what to do, which way to turn. And LAP and Kathy Killian were able to point me in the right direction. I don't see LAP as getting me sober so much as putting me in the direction of people who can get me sober. And you know, there have been certainly help with, you know, I have a, a mentor, now I have a mentee with the LAP, but it's not a replacement for inpatient treatment. It's not a replacement for my, um, my other things that I do in, in, in recovery. It's just, it's a nice guide. And it was, it was nice to fall back on them during the, um, my time in need without fear that it was going to trickle over into the bar as a whole. It's funny because you did mention that your employer reported you to the LAP. And a lot of people confuse the LAP with the state bar and are worried about confidentiality or that there's going to be some discipline consequences if they work with the lawyer assistance program. I have not felt that. It's my understanding that LAP is separate and apart from the the state bar. I have not um, had any fear that LAP would report me to the state bar or that anything I say to the LAP is going to trickle over into a disciplinary action. Like I said, I don't know the rules. Uh, That's just my understanding. And that's been my experience. What's been the most surprising thing to you? The most surprising thing about my recovery is how proud I am of it. I'm not afraid to tell people that I'm in recovery. I, I don't broadcast it, but I'm also not shying away from it. 
I never thought that, that I would feel that way. I am proud of my recovery. I'm proud of the friendships that I've made through recovery. I have some really good friends in recovery. We go camping with some family friends that are in, in recovery. I've met some really good attorneys who are in recovery, some that come to my, my meetings on a regular basis. So I think I, I think that's the most surprising thing is that it, that I'm proud of it and that I've got a home. You know, I've got some home to go to. It's not just some secretive dark part of my life that I keep under wraps from the rest of the world. It's part of who I am now. And those who know that I'm in recovery in the legal profession have been nothing but supportive. There have been a few times where it has come up that I'm in recovery. And one in particular was there was a guy who was in my meetings who was on the other side of a divorce case. And because I didn't know his last name, when we did a conflict check, I did not know that I was representing his spouse. And so then an an issue came up with a potential conflict of interest with the other attorney that represented the husband. And she was nothing but supportive. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I know, I know David's little secret. You know, the law firm that I used to work for that turned me into LAP not once but twice have been nothing but supportive. It helps that I made direct amends to those people. And in fact, the very first person that I made direct amends to was the one that I sent a very inappropriate text message to late at night while blocked out. Uh, She is the one I made amends to. I text with her on a regular basis. She and her husband come to my house with her kid a couple of times a year to swim in the pool. The fear that I have and that others may have about it hurting my career in the legal profession I have found to be totally unfounded and that the legal profession is more supportive of recovery than I ever thought. Excellent. I often say fear of stigma is different than stigma or actual stigma. And so many lawyers don't come because they don't get help for fear of stigma, but fear of stigma. I mean, the stigma itself is actually almost like, a shadow cloud of an apparition, it doesn't exist. We've never had any of our volunteers be stigmatized for working with our program once they've become more public about their involvement. I'm glad to know that for you. I'm glad to hear that for you. And to the extent that there is a stigma, I'm not saying that there is, but to the extent that there is, it's far outweighed by the benefits of not sabotaging yourself on a daily basis. And and I can remember I got a comment from Judge Hewitt in Mecklenburg County, she said, David, I don't know what you're doing, but it's working and please keep doing it. And having little comments like that, they, they can see it. And, and it's good. It's good for me. And it's good for the profession because I'm not being a jerk to the other attorney all the time. Now they may disagree, but I, I'm not being as jerk as much as I used to be. And, and so whatever, 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 let's assume for the sake of argument that there is a stigma, say it's just little, Okay, we'll compare that to the benefits of getting sober. As far out was it? If there was any guidance or advice you wanted to give to a lawyer who might be listening right now that's afraid to ask for help or afraid to make contact, what advice would you give? You never have to feel this way ever again. You don't have to do it alone. 
And you aren't alone. That's what I would tell him or her. Well, thanks, David. Thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us at the sidebar. If this is your first time, we encourage you to listen to another episode or two, subscribe to our newsletter, and peruse the resources at www.nclap.org. And if you know a lawyer who could use a hand, please share this episode with them today. Remember, at Sidebar, you are not alone. In fact, you are in quite good company.